Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us guys at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. And we are excited. We were just talking about this. We have a spinoff, a sister podcast, which is so cool. It's called Connected by Life. Have you heard of it? Yes, I have, Lori. And actually, I've been a, a, one of the guests for two of the podcasts now. Did they ask and you, Nyla? They didn't ask They did not <laughs> ask me. It's, no. it's coming. I promise. No, but we try to put something together for healthcare professionals. And it's a little shorter podcast. We try to keep it about 10 to 15 minutes because we understand, especially physicians, times are limited. But we wanted to do something geared toward physicians and other healthcare professionals that really shines light on certain aspects of donation and transplantation that would be very interesting to them. Yeah, and look, you can find that wherever you listen to our podcast. Yeah. You can find the Connected by Life podcast, and you can also go to lopa.org slash life. Yeah, check it out. Connected by Life. You'll hear Joey there, too, and then you'll hear from Sean Paul. Yeah. All right. I like it. We want you to keep listening today here on The Gifted Life. We have a power-packed episode, as always, coming up on the episode today. Is it possible to give life twice? Listen in, and you'll hear from someone who did just that. I'm excited to hear our guest. Uh, We're also going to be talking about words of encouragement and how that can really, it's it's powerful, and it it can really change the course of our day or our life. Nyla, you did a really good job. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> You're catching on quick. <laughs> All right, guys, we have lots to get to here on The Gifted Life. So happy that you're joining us. Hang on. Here on The Gifted Life Podcast, guys, we are excited to introduce you to our newest friend, Miss Annalie Navarro. Welcome. Thank you. You have quite the story that has inspired everyone here on The Gifted Life Podcast. Uh, life took an unexpected turn with the birth of your your daughter and some diagnoses that followed um, and you've walked that walk and then you're choosing to use that story to help others on their journeys and we just love that um, so we want to start with you and we want you to introduce us to the Julia hi everyone thank you so much for having me here I'm thrilled to be speaking with you um, as you know you know Julia is uh, is my daughter she is soon to be six. Um, she was diagnosed with biliary atresia when she was almost four months old, so she had a late diagnosis. Um, nonetheless, she is thriving and doing well now. She does gymnastics and karate and horsemanship, <laughs> and she is a force to be reckoned with. She's ah, full of life it. and just, yep, she's a wonderful little thing. So tell us a, a little bit about uh, kind of her first four months in that journey. Yeah, so she is our first daughter, and I pretty much had a very normal pregnancy. Um, when she was born, she was a little petite. She was only five pounds. Um, she struggled a little bit to gain weight, and, um, you know, her pediatrician told us that it was just that babies grow at a different rate. Um, and then she, you know, she had jaundice, and um, when we released from the hospital, she no longer had it, they told us and she was fine for a couple of days. Then I noticed that her skin started 
getting a little yellow. Um, and then that yellow color started to turn a little deeper. So it started to look a little greenish. And I kept insisting to her pediatrician that there was something wrong with her. Um, he said, oh, I think she's fine. Um, it's probably just milk jaundice. A lot of um, Asian and Latino babies develop jaundice and it's normal. And we said, okay. He said, put her, you know, get her some under some natural sunlight and that should help. We tried that. It didn't help. And she was still not growing as uh, at the rate that she was supposed to. And we kept going back to the pediatrician and he kept insisting that she was okay. Um, I started to really worry because I said, no, there is in my gut. I knew that there was something wrong with her. So I said, you know what? Let's just get some blood work done. I feel like we really need to confirm that she is okay. I feel like there is something wrong with her. And she said, and, and then the pediatrician said, okay, that's fine. We'll get some labs done and then we'll get back with you. A um, couple of days later after the, the blood work was done, the results came in. He said, um, her numbers are a little abnormal. Let's try to get her to see a specialist. And here's the number. They gave me the information and make an appointment with a um, with, you know, one of those specialists as soon as you can. And I said, OK, I we picked up the results and her liver numbers were through the roof. And I said, no, this is not normal. We cannot wait to see a specialist. Let's go to the ER. I love this so mama pushing like I need <laughs> answers. I like that, mom. Yeah, I think that as mothers, we have that instinct to really know if there is something wrong with our child and we really need to trust it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we did. You know, we went ahead, we took her to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, uh, the one that was nearest to our house. They said, they looked at the results and they said, wow, okay, no, you need to go to Eggleston, which is the, the location where they do transplants and where, you know, she has her hepatology team. And they said her liver is not doing well. She really needs to see someone right now. And we immediately went there. And that turned into two weeks at the hospital, you know, getting her diagnosed, running all types of tests, um, biopsies, and finalizing her diagnosis, which turned out to be biliary atresia. And so when they tell you biliary atresia, of course, um. Um, uh, clinical, so I understand. So what did that mean to you? And then what did you learn about it? So, you know, as they were starting to diagnose her and uh, before they ran the biopsy and all the other tests, they said, we're looking at three different um, options to see what it could be. We're thinking it might be biliary atresia. We don't know. We need the biopsy to confirm. And so, of course, as any parent would do, I Googled everything. Mm. Don't they tell you and not to do that? That's a scary they, rabbit hole, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did. And you know what? I'm glad that I did, though. It was scary, but I really wanted to know what we were going to be faced with. And I saw that, you know, the only treatment options for biliary atresia at that point based on her age was probably going to be a liver transplant. Um, you know, she was diagnosed late. Um, usually they're, you know, children that are born with biliary atresia, they're diagnosed within the first couple of weeks. And ideally that should be the case because that means that they have two treatment options available, which is a SI procedure or a liver transplant. Unfortunately, at that point, she didn't qualify for a PSI procedure anymore because the success rate at that point was just very low. So it wasn't worth um, 
the risk and the trauma of having to have such an invasive surgery. So we were going straight into a transplant. Um, when they came back with the biopsy results and she was confirmed to have biliary atresia, I said, so is it just a transplant? Like, not just a transplant, but is her only option a transplant right now? And they said, at this point, yes, we need to make sure that we get her healthy enough to um, maybe be at a year old, and that's when she'll get her transplant. And at that point, I said, well, uh, is a living donor an option? They said, yes. I said, well, I want to be her donor. Um, they said, well, ideally, we prefer to have, um, you know, to add her to the waiting list, and hopefully she'll get a liver in, so you wouldn't have to go through that. And I said, but I want to have a plan B just in case. And they said, yeah, we'll do that for you. And so they did. And so the audience can understand. So, Billy, you know, the problem with biliary atresia, so your liver works kind of as an in-between from your blood system, so all your vessels, your vascular, all your blood flow and your red blood cells, they go there, it, get, it cleans everything out, and, then when, and it breaks, uh, breaks the, some of the bad parts, toxins, and then bad parts of your blood down into bile. And, uh, and then that goes to your, your bile ducts and your, your gallbladder and, and into your intestines and things like that. So it's, it's kind of the in-between between your GI intestinal tract and your, uh, and your, your vascular and your, your blood vessels. So if in this situation, oftentimes it's, you know, it's, it's happens, um, you know, during pregnancy or immediately after pregnancy where the, the, your bile ducts just aren't working. Uh, they're either scarred or they're damaged or they're not. They're just not functioning the way they, they need to. And even though that's just your bile ducts, it's not your liver. Your liver can't function for long uh, if if it's not treated. And that's why they go go through the you know the procedures. And especially oftentimes, as we see in the transplant and the donation world, many of the children that receive livers uh, from children who are donors. It's because of the biliary atresia. Wow. Okay. So I'm learning so much here since I'm not clinical. And um, I may go in a different direction. So y'all pull me back if we need mm-hmm. to come back. Um, but I, I was just listening to your story and thinking how hard that must to be must be to sit in front of physicians with your daughter sick and not having answers. And so I never advise against doctor saying don't Google. But at the same time, how do you know what to ask if you don't know? And I see that you have taken a situation where you don't want someone else to be in this this situation with through your your website. Be a hero. So be a hero. And um mm-hmm. and I saw where you have 101, BA 101, which is brilliant. I love I love the play on the biliary yeah. atresia. So B A S. You know to go through something scary. It has a call for action, right? Yeah, <laughs> and to be to go through something so scary and then feel alone. I think that would be so hard. And so I also noticed on your website, which is beautiful. I don't know if you do the photography or what, but you not only have your daughter's story, but you have others and their stories. Yeah. Yes, I think that going through something as traumatic as this was and as hard as it was, um, which, you know, when when you are expecting your children to be born, you never, ever crosses your mind that you're going to be faced with something like this, right? 
Um, and so it's, it was scary. It was a diagnosis that I didn't even know biliary atresia existed. I didn't know that children, babies, infants needed transplants. And actually, you know, biliary atresia is the number one cause for liver transplantation in children in the U.S. Um, most of them receive their transplant um, within a couple of years of being diagnosed. And so that was our case. Um, and, you know, through our journey, we met some wonderful families that had already been or were going through that journey. And so having a support system and having others that that uh, really understood what we were going through and, you know, from whom we could actually learn um, and sort of get like a abstract map of what the journey was going to be like was so valuable to us. And so being able to provide that to other families, um, sharing with them that although it is, you know, a rare disease and a um, diagnosis that it's not very common, you're not alone. There are other families that have gone through this and just spreading hope and allowing them to see that although it is scary at the beginning and challenging and it's a huge learning curve for you to understand what's going on, the medications, the treatment, um, just even hearing the transplant word, you know, it's it's very frightening for any parent. Um, what we hope to do through Be a Hero is to bring hope and also bring awareness to biliary atresia and provide different programs that help all these other families in areas that we know are needed because we've been through the journey. I love it. We have um, a number of families who are on our LOPA volunteer uh, force. And so we go out and we we tell these stories just like like you're doing it. And you guys, I, I actually sent an email uh, to one of our families and I said, oh, you've got to meet this lady if you, <laughs> if you haven't connected already. But I always tell these moms and dads, I'm like, I think you guys have done your own research because the babies are so tiny that you could be a medical professional. By the time, because (laughs) the way you guys talk, the way you process information, because you had to, right? Like there was no other choice is what they're telling me, like, this is what we did. So, um, I mean, thinking back on it, I mean, she had an NG tube, she had TPN, and we had so many different medications and all these different types of things that we had to do, get trained in putting the, the NG tube out in case she pulled it out. We could do that at home ourselves. And thinking back on that now, I'm like, oh, my God, how did we get through that? How did we learn all of that? Because <laughs> a strong mama. I love it. All right. So we want you to continue uh, Julia's story and Julia's journey because we kind of paused and, and we took a little detour. And so um, tell us what's next. Yeah. So then, you know, after being diagnosed, she was added to the transplant waiting list. Um, they were hoping that she would make it to a year old before she had a transplant. But unfortunately... Um, the disease is very very aggressive. And so when she was about seven months old, um, her liver had developed cirrhosis already and it was pretty bad. And at that point, she just needed a transplant. And so she made it to the very top of the waiting list for pediatric patients. She didn't receive, we didn't receive the call. We didn't, you know, we were in in PICU for uh, about a week or so. And, um, I kept asking the nurses, I said, so what's it like? Do they, do you come in here and do you tell me, hey, we have a liver? Like, do they call me? Does everyone just rush in and take her? And so I kept asking what it was going to be like because I was, you know, anticipating that she would get a liver in on time. Um, in the meantime, though, just to be cautious and because I wanted to be her plan B, 
um, the amazing team at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Emory, they said, let's get you tested. If she doesn't get a liver offered to her um, by March 26th, then that morning you have to be at Emory University Hospital at 5 a.m to get prepped to go under and to um to be her donor and i said okay so then it was three intense days of you know getting tested i mean i had like 20 little tubes of blood um that they had to get to make sure that i was in optimum health um they i mean i had to meet with a cardiologist a you know obviously hepatologist a psychologist and you're saying it as a matter of like fact, CT like, scans. I just had to do this. I'm a mm-hmm. mom on a mission. I'm checking this off my box. And I'm over here in I chills and my mouth's open like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I would be freaking out. I was determined. I yeah. said, no, this is this. It's got to be done. I have to be the plan B. We, you never know. You know, you hope for the best, but you prepare for the worst. And that's what I always tell every other family that I meet. You're always going to be hopeful and you got to stay positive, but be ready just in case. Right. I like that. Um. And then on the third day, I remember it was a Friday, they called me and they said, hey, um, we have news, you are a match and you, you're you ready, you know, you, you'll be her donor. And I said, oh my goodness, like you can't even imagine just thinking back on that now, I'm getting chills because it was like the weight of the world was lifted from my shoulders because I knew I didn't have to depend on a donor. And I just knew that, you know, whatever happened, I was going to be ready and I, it was going to go through. They said, go home, rest. Um, and so my husband ended up staying at the hospital with Julia. And I went home that weekend. Of course, I didn't rest. You know, I was very um, worried about her, not even about me. I was worried about her. Mm-hmm. I kept trying to picture what it was going to be like and what she was going to look like after the transplant. Mm-hmm. And yet I was still hopeful that we would get a, a donor. And um, the night before I, uh, I, you know, Sunday night, that was a Monday when I donated to her that Sunday night, they emailed me all the paperwork that I needed to fill out in the questionnaire. Um, and one of the questions that it had was, and um, I might break down a little bit here, was in case the recipient doesn't make it through the surgery, mm. do you want somebody else to receive the the, mm. um, the organ? <sighs> and just thinking back on that now, then I was fine. I said, yes, you know, I answered yes to everything. If, if she doesn't make it, I want, um, I want my liver to go to another child. And um, this is heavy yeah, stuff. I, it was. It was heavy. It was it's heavy in my heart still. Just thinking about that now. Um, but you know, I it had to be done, and I sent everything. I um, so I brought my paperwork. Um, and I sent everything that needed to be ready. And that morning, I wanted to see my daughter before I went in to the hospital. And thankfully, you know, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta is right across the street from Emory University Hospital. So I went in, um, and funny story, they don't allow visitors to pick you until like eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And at that point it was like right before 5 a.m. And so I was arguing with the security guard and I said, look, I'm going (laughs) to donate my liver to my daughter. I want to see her before I go in. And he had to call someone and get like a special permission so I could go in. But I went in and I saw her. I I was like, please tell me they let you in. They did. They let me in. Um, I was mad at that point. I was very frustrated. I was like, but you don't understand. You get things done, Emily. I like it. Oh. <laughs> I said, you know, it's it's. I, I have to see her. I do. 
And then so they let me in. I went to see her. I gave her a hug and a kiss. And then my husband walked me across the street to to um, Emory. And then from there on, I just, you know, I just remember the um, one of the nurses said, oh, what you're doing is wonderful. You know, I hope everything turns out OK. And that was it. Oh, my gosh. I think I was under for about eight hours and my daughter's surgery was a little, a lot longer than that. I think it was like 10 hours or something. Okay, and I I'll... always say that I got the easiest part because I was asleep. But can you imagine my husband, mm. like his wife and his child, you know, going through that? And he had to wait all those hours, mm. right? It was just, I can't even imagine. Okay, I'm exhausted too right now after listening <laughs> to all of that. But then you look at org and you see this precious face and you see her twirling in her dress. Nyla, you were talking about, I just love this picture. She just looks so full of life and surviving and thriving. Looks like a very grown up five-year-old about to be six-year-old. And you fought for for her and look at her. She seems great. We're very grateful um, that we, you know, so far have a happy ending to our story. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. There are many children that, um, you know, end up passing away because of biliary atresia. Um, either while they're still waiting on their gift of life or after, as you know, you know, getting um, an organ transplant sometimes brings a lot of other complications along with it. So obviously a transplant is not really a cure for biliary atresia, but only a form of treatment. But you know that, that you're not only were you an advocate for your daughter, you're now an advocate for others as you help prepare families, educate, bring awareness so I, 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 this is just encouragement that others don't have to do this walk alone. And your story is so powerful to guide people in a direction that offers hope. You know, and I see that so, so your sweet daughter, Julia, received her second gift of life after you said you gave birth. And then at seven months, she received a portion of your liver. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you explain? So she was seven months old, and now she's almost almost six. So she's five. What does she understand about this, and how have you helped to to explain this to her and other children that are her friends? Yeah, you know that was one of the things that I didn't want her to be handicapped by the experience. Um, obviously, she wasn't going to remember what she had been through because she was a baby. She was only seven months old when she received her transplant. You know, she's very familiar with the hospital life because, um, you know, we've had a couple of visits, some stays. Um, every so often, we still have to go to get checkups, and she loves her team. But to me, it was very important, and it continues to be very important that she understands what she been, what she went through to empower her and for her to really own her journey, right? Um, a lot of times parents try to shield their children from, um, and, and, and it's understandable, you know, sometimes for parents it's very traumatic as well. But for me, it's important that she understands what she she went through and that she sees it as an experience, not that it's negative or positive, but just an experience and that's the way life is, right? And you make out of experiences what you want. Um, Sometimes it's very hard and challenging. And other times, you know, they're beautiful experiences. But you pick what you get out of those. Um, And so for me, I always wanted to educate her on what she went through. I wanted her to understand that she was born with biliary atresia, what biliary atresia was, what it meant, 
what the journey implied for her and for other children that have and will probably have biliary atresia and to understand the power of her story and the difference that she can make by sharing her story with others. Um, I want her to understand what organ transplantation means and that many of us have all of these wonderful gifts inside of us, right, that we can share with others, sometimes while we're still alive and sometimes when we pass away and we are able to leave that legacy behind. And so one of the ways for me to help her understand in a child-friendly way was to write a story for her. And so I said, okay, how am I going to write this? How do I communicate this to her in a way that she can process and really understand it and help us have an open dialogue and open all those questions that she might have and address them in a way that she can really digest it and start, you know, and progress into bigger words like transplantation, like organs, like, um, you know, a rare disease and things like that. So I wrote a story for her and um, I shared it with my husband. He said, you know what, I think there's a lot of value in this. And I said, I think I might want to get this illustrated and turn it into a book for her for her birthday. And then in your spare said, you know time, no. you did that, Mom? And, in yeah, your spare I time? That, yeah. <laughs> in my spare time. And then I found my illustrator and I said, you know what? No, I think I should turn this into a book because she has to share this. And there's so many other families that have struggled through something similar to what we've been through. And there are no books, right? I'm a big, big reader, and I've always been a big fan of buying books for my two girls. Yeah. There was not one that I really, really felt identified with and that identified her in her journey. So then that's how I decided to um, to write her book, which is Mighty Me. Oh, I love that name. And I found it on Amazon. I love the cover picture. And, um, and I love the description, a tale like no other about Mighty Julia and her quest to find a unique and magical stone that saved her life and gave her a second chance. And that's great. And that's what we found here, too. Some of our um, volunteers were saying, how do you have that conversation with these big concepts and these big terms like how do you do that so we think uh that 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 is pretty neat that got Nile and I's attention we were like googling like let's find it <laughs> where, where do we find it so it's on Amazon um you can do that what's the feedback that you've been getting I've been you know it's it's been amazing I did not anticipate having people write to me from other countries from Spain from Portugal um from even like Ukraine, from France, um, from even some from South America, um, Australia, like different people in so many different countries that found my book. I don't even know how. And they really, you know, they emailed me to say thank you. Um, there was this one um, lady and she is in Portugal and she said, you know, um, she's 20 something now. She said, I had my transplant when I was like five or four and I don't remember many things and a friend of mine I think gifted to her a friend of hers gifted that to her or she found it and she said I wish I would have had this book when I was little to share with others and my cousins and my friends at school and tell them what it was what I went through and mind you she didn't have biliary atresia she had another um, liver disease but she also had a liver transplant um, but in the book I was very cautious not to mention transplantation or organ or liver 
I left it up to the imagination and interpretation of the child. And so what that did was it, it opened the dialogue between the parent and the child to mold it into what they wanted, right? So it's not necessarily a liver. It can be a heart. Um, it can be lungs. It can be whatever that magical stone that you needed. Um, and, and, and it can represent anything that your child needed at that time, right? Or even an adult. I love it. I think it's a, a great concept, a great way to do storytelling. Uh, it was an easy find on Amazon. I just did Mighty Me and I did Annalie Navarro. So that was pretty cool. Um, and it's just a couple of, of thoughts. So if you're listening to this and you want to sign up to be a donor, you can do that now, registerme.org. Um, I'm thinking about how Julia has one of the greatest teachers right in her own home. And what a powerful duo you guys will make when she's a little bit older and can join you on these interviews and, and share her own story from her own perspective. Um, and as it changes, as she grows, as she hits these milestones, which is pretty cool. So um, a lot of our folks are on Thank Instagram. You. How can folks find you there so that we can learn and continue learning? Sure. You can find me at D, so T-H-E underscore A underscore Navarro, N-A-V-A-R-R-O. Um, and, you know, of course, you can visit our website at bahero.org. Um, and actually, Julia is pretty active, you know, and she's very vocal about sharing her story. She's very proud of her journey. I recently got the chance through her amazing school to read the book to many of the other grades. And I also got the chance to read it to her class, her pre, pre-K class. And she was so proud. And her oh. friends were just so excited. And that that was the worst reading I had ever done. (laughs) No, it wasn't, Mom. It was perfect. You had given me so much to think about. Yeah. Yeah, just seeing her sitting there, like, around, you know, in the little (laughs) circle with her friends and reading the story about her and her teachers. And, oh, my God, I just, I had to cry at the end. I just couldn't hold it back. And my mom reading this story, like, you gave me chills so many times, and you made me cry, and then you made me laugh, and all of the emotions. So we just think you're great. We think it's great what you're continuing um, to do um, and using your passion to help others. And so you got an open invitation here on The Gifted Life as you guys continue to go and and change the world. Uh, Please take us along so that we can follow. um, And then check them out, guys. Annalie, we appreciated the visit. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. And as you said, you know, if you're not an organ donor, please consider being one. It's very easy. We all have these wonderful gifts inside of us. We can leave behind a legacy of love um, to others that really need it, including some infants that are, you know, fighting for their lives right now. So please consider being an organ donor. And thank you for having me. Um, I hope to speak with you guys again soon. Thank you. on the Gifted Life podcast. We're taking a moment now for mental health. Yes, and this is a, a subject that I think we all need a little bit more of, a little bit of encouragement. So tell us about that, Nyla. Nyla you do that. I feel we're in the same office area in Louisiana, and I feel like 
you are the best at it. Yeah. Because if we're having a bad day or something, you're just like, let's redirect this energy into a positive motion. And I just I feel it off of you. You're the best teacher. So go. Oh, girl. I like that. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> reading an article about a, a woman who was taking surfing lessons and it was about how her instructor encouraged her. And so you just said, I don't know, you move, uh, maybe yeah, think yeah. of waves. And going into it. Yeah. Yeah. You do it so naturally. You think of <laughs> them all of a, all of a yeah. sudden. Okay, I do. I do think it, it's taken me. I mean, I'll say my age. I don't really care, but I'm older. Then maybe I do care. So, I, but still cute. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> but I, it's just now that I'm figuring that's one of my gifts to encourage. Yes, I, I agree. I love encouragement, and I think it lifts us up. And I, I, my husband says I talk to myself, and he'll come in. He's like, "Are you talking to yourself or me?" I'm like, "Oh, me." And he's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "I'm pumping myself up. <laughs> I am encouraging myself today, or whatever I'm doing." But yeah, I do have to encourage myself because sometimes we don't have people around us to mm-hmm. do that. So it's something that we can, and that's just called self-compassion, because a lot of times we do encourage others. And I mean, it's, sometimes it's it's cheerleading encouragement. You can do it. Sometimes it's a, a, you know, a push or, you know, sometimes it's just that simple pat on the back. It can be so quiet, but it just is connection. And it's saying, yeah. I see you mm-hmm. and I believe that you can do this. And so when we give encouragement, it is sometimes we are encouraging someone baby steps. Sometimes we're encouraging to see that big dream. But can you imagine that our words are so powerful? Just little things that we say can change the course of what somebody's thinking, what somebody's doing, or or really their future, their dreams, their hopes. I mean, so these are words that we want to try to find. Um, Encouragement solidifies. It reinforces. It's saying that we're doing the right thing, staying on the right track, keep going. And I love that there's this quote that I found that said, at any given moment, you have the power to say, this is not how the story is going to end. And that's an anonymous quote that I found. And that makes me think, about when we talk to families who are trying to decide if they're going to give that gift of life. And when I think of encouragement, I can't think of anything more encouraging than when a family says yes, because so many times they say yes because their loved one wanted it, but if they they aren't sure or, or they didn't re- their loved one didn't register to be a donor, they're saying, I don't want someone else to go through this, and I want to give them this. this. I want to give them this hope this this push this gift Mm -hmm. and I think encouragement is such a beautiful thing but we have to stop and we have to think are we using encouraging words or are we using defeating words Mm -hmm. and so another quote just says sometimes when you're in the dark place you think you have been buried but maybe you've actually just been planted Mm -hmm. and that's by Christine Kane and I think that um that's that's what we do. We give a seed, we plant that, mm-hmm. and then we hope that it blossoms for whatever that person wants in their life. I have a, a hard time if somebody feels less than, like I, I, my husband says, I, you hone in on them. And I said, because I want to help lift them up. Um, but you talked about connecting to purpose, connecting to our work. And we've been out in the field and um, our volunteers are telling the stories of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they leave and they said, I, I just don't think that I did as great a job as I could, but I think they always do it perfectly and they light up when they talk about their, their loved ones. And so I try to encourage so that they'll do it again and again, and it always works out, but you're right. Encouragement and baby steps. It doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be some grand gesture, 
but just you did what you needed to do yeah. and you got the job done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whatever you did, you did it. You yeah. did it the best you could. So let's just keep going, moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Kelly and I uh, were uh, fortunate enough to meet up with a couple of the executives at, at uh, well, we've been traveling the state as much as we can to meet up with as many of uh, the executive level at the hospitals to connect with them, continue building relationships and, and collaborate to, to tackle the challenges, you know, together. Kelly Ranham is uh, Lopa's CEO, and uh, and it's funny because just yesterday we had a, a meeting, and the ICU director was one that was that was a part of that. He's one of the, the the key figures at this hospital, and we were talking about, you know, how discouraging it is to the staff when they lose someone, mm-hmm. and how how difficult it is to get over their grief, you know, because they a lot of times, and we had a recent donor there that. It really impacts them, and they only see that. And and so he talked about, and we talked together about bringing possibly even recipients from some like their donors mm-hmm. and their donors, so their donor families with meeting with recipients. And he talked exactly about that, how uh, that's something that would be so encouraging to them for, to do that next step, to yeah. make sure that we're doing the next thing that we can to make that same thing happened for the next donor family and that next recipient. And it's it's interesting that, that we're talking about encouragement mm-hmm. today, and, and that was a lot of what we focused on for at the staff level, um, you know, having that connected purpose, like you mentioned, and, and to be able to encourage the, the, the nursing staff and the hospital professionals that are working so hard, you know, that, that don't always see some of the positive that, that comes out of all their hard work. Oh my gosh, Joey, that was beautiful. Like, I mean, that just sums it up. And I, and I think this is such a beautiful way to wrap up as far as like following our guest, because what encouragement that she gave to her daughter and, and continues to give to others, others through yeah. her book. Right. And so, yeah. So thank you all for being encouraging to me to be part of this. Yes. And thank you all. And thanks to our listeners for continuing to listen, to pump us up and to keep us in a forward motion. All right, maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover here at The Gifted Life. It's easy. Just reach out to us, info at thegiftedlife.org. Question and answer time here on The Gifted Life podcast. The question today, is donating my body to science the same as organ donation? The answer is no, it's not quite the same. And we do get a lot of, I'm sure, especially in the community, you probably get this question quite often. Yes, and more people are looking into donating their body to science. And I I think it's just because of the education, the access to information. Um, It's pretty eye-opening, yeah. Right. And so the biggest difference uh, with donating your body to science, you're donating it for research and education purposes, whether maybe it could be research about certain disease types uh, on those particular organs or, or on the body, or education, especially in uh, med schools and in, in, uh, in residency programs, things like that, when you're learning. So you have these physicians that are learning how to tackle these diseases, and they're, and you're it's really saving lives down the road. Whereas uh, organ donation, Again, you can actually donate your organs for the, the priority is going to be for transplant because life saving now, you know, it can't be trumped by anything down the road. 
Uh, but then if, if you do donate your, your organs, you can also donate them for research and education purposes sometimes when the transplant uh, isn't available. So they both help in many ways and save lives. And, and one of the other pieces of this that happens, at least I get a lot of questions, can you do both? And the answer is yes. Just when you are signing up on the registry for, for the, uh, to, to donate your body to science, you need to ask those questions uh, of them. Because if you want to do both, not every research facility will offer to be able to, to, to donate both. So you just need to verify if that place does. Uh, and if your priority, as I hope it is as well, is also donation, of uh, organ donation, then then once you confirm yes or no, you can you can look at others that, that can potentially allow for both. Yeah. And, you know, Joey, when I was approaching families, um, I would always try to, you know, talk to the families about what their needs and their wants were. So we could figure out and then make those phone calls and together and kind of move forward that way, which was always helpful. So these questions are so important. And if you'd like more information, you can go to our website, lopa.org slash donation options. And um, we really do appreciate and encourage your questions. So we hope that they continue um, to come in. So if you have one, please give us a call 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today, our hero is Reed Abair. And we learn about Reed from his wife. My hero is definitely my husband, Reed Abair. He was taken from us way too soon. But because of his selflessness and insistence on becoming an organ donor, someone's life was saved. The true definition of a hero and his legacy lives on. We pause and say thank you to Reed for the gift of life. That closes the book on episode 216 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. Huge thanks to Annalie Navarro for coming on and sharing Julia with, with us and our audience. And, of course, going through all of that, what she went through at a, such a young age and then not figuring out what was going on. Mm. And then and then all of a sudden figuring out, well, that transplant is is likely our only option and jumping to now plan b well like plan, b, a plan i b. am plan b and I, I can't imagine all of those things that that went through her mind and all those difficult decisions she had to make throughout all of that and then then realizing well let me go ahead and write a book. But she's know. a mom on a mission, right? Like yeah, well, that's not, the definition. Not even just writing a book, she like does a like now she's promoting awareness for and others. helping others, I know. And then she's working, you know, in her spare time. We talked about that. She has another book <laughs> that's coming out. Um, and so we hope to have her back here on The Gifted Life so we can continue learning, continue connecting, which is pretty awesome. Um, also, just want to remind you, too, while we're talking about it, um, at the top of this episode, we talked about Connected by Life, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Who, who does that? Somebody you know? Yes, uh, Sean Paul Harrison. <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's the host. And unfortunately, I was able to be uh, become one of the, the guests early on. And again, it's similar to The Gifted Life, except it's a little more geared to 
the healthcare professionals. Now, if you're not a healthcare professional, you are absolutely more than welcome to listen because we still don't, we speak on a little more of a technical uh, uh, perspective, but, but still not in words where layman can't, you know, understand. It's really good. It's all about donation and transplantation. It's re- really near and dear to, to healthcare professionals' hearts is the, are the things that we tackle. So. Yeah, a spinoff of The Gifted Life. So we love that. We love education. We think it's key. And so, um, you know, we're pretty proud of it. Connected by Life. Check it out. And the best place to find us, we hope you continue listening to us too, is on our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others to find us. On social media, we're active there. You can go to our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for spending some time with The Gifted Life Podcast crew. We love it, guys, and we love doing it. And we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>